dismiss uh, any of the young people, sixth grade and down, who want to go to Children's Church uh, with Mr. Paul and Mr. Luke in uh, the fellowship hall, sixth grade and down. Good to see you this morning. Looking forward to our time together in God's Word. John chapter 14, as you're turning there, uh, the last two days I had been invited to speak at a conference in a church in Charlotte. And after driving back and forth to Charlotte twice, I'm glad to live in Columbus. <laughs> and uh, thankful for that. And uh, they, uh, well, let's just, I, I just like the country. And all God's people said... Amen. So grateful for what God has given us here. But we had a great time at the conference there. I appreciated it. Uh, the pastor of the church there uh, was burdened to have an entire conference dedicated to focusing on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and asked me to come and uh, prepare. I prepared two brand new messages on the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm going to preach uh, this morning the message I preached last night. You say, Pastor, is that because you're lazy and didn't want to prepare a new message? No. <laughs> In the last 14 days, I have preached 15. I will, by the end of the day, have preached 15 brand new messages between the meeting and... So, anyway, I'm... Uh... My thought was this. This is a vital subject. Amen. The subject of the Holy Spirit of God... And if we're going to go to the effort, if we're going to go to the effort of uh, preparing a message for another church, then I want us to be able to benefit from it here as well at Crossroads Baptist Church. And so I want us to look, if we would, at uh, John chapter 14. And this is a part of what uh, Bible students over the years have called Jesus Christ's upper room discourse. Uh, this is final teaching that he would have given to his disciples in the upper room. Uh, that very night after celebrating the Last Supper together, they would have left the upper room, gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would have been arrested and then taken to the high priest's residence. From there, he would have gone through the process of his trials and then was crucified. Aren't you glad that the tomb is empty in Jerusalem? And uh, not just because I was there and got to see the empty tomb uh, back in May, uh, but uh, he is alive. Jesus is alive. The scripture makes that clear. He's gone back to sit at the right hand of the Father. But the upper room discourse is vital information that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to his disciples the night before he is crucified. And uh, it has been called before the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you may have a last will and testament, a statement of your desires uh, before you, uh, that you put together before you disease, so that after you're gone, uh, those that are left behind will know what to do with all your stuff, right? Okay. Uh, it's amazing. You've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse to a funeral. Uh, you've never seen that before. But uh, Jesus left behind things of far greater significance and value than material things for his disciples. And uh, the upper room discourse is in many ways a statement of those things. Let me just say this by way of preparation before we get into the message this morning, and that is this. The Spirit of God is not a force. He is not an emanation of power from God. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity, who demonstrates all of the attributes of God. He's not a subform of deity, so he is a person who is God. 
And one of the ways that we demonstrate, and this is not a theological lesson this morning or message this morning in the sense of a lecture that someone might get in a Bible college, but I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ regarded the Holy Spirit of God as a person. He spoke of him as a person. He used over and over, you'll see in the four passages in John 14, 15, and 16 that we're about to consider, over and over again, he used the pronouns he and him and his to refer to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is person and he is God. If he is not, then that calls into question the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ referred to him as a person and as God. And so on the basis of the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, we regard the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as a person and as God. John chapter 14 and verse number 14, or verse number 16, pardon me, John 14 and verse number 16, again, set the, uh, the backdrop in your mind, Jesus and the 12, the 11 now are in the upper room, Judas has just left, he's giving these final instructions, verse number 16, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, he's talking to his disciples, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And then he explains who this other comforter is, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. Notice the pronouns referring to the spirit of God as a person. The, the, the world seeth him not, that is, they don't acknowledge his existence, neither knoweth him. The word knoweth there speaks of the knowledge of experience. They don't experience him. Why? Because only a child of God, a person who's trusted Christ as Savior, can really experience the indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God. But ye know him, Jesus tells the disciples, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Just a brief word of explanation here. The disciples are living in this transitional period. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not permanently dwell or permanently indwell believers. He came on people for special purposes, but he did not permanently indwell them. New Testament believers, including those of us in this room this morning who have trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible tells us that we, at the moment of salvation, are permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. Okay? And Jesus is referring to that. He says to these disciples who are in this transitional period, okay, before the cross, he's saying to them, he's saying, the Spirit of God dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then verse number 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the importance of the ministry of God's Spirit as our comforter this morning, I ask you that you'd work in each of our hearts, that you'd strengthen believers, and that if there are those here this morning that are not believers in Jesus Christ as their Savior, for the salvation of their soul and the assurance of their eternal home in heaven, I pray that the Spirit of God would work to draw them, to convince them of their need of Christ, and to draw them. That's part of his comforting ministry. God, we need your help, and I pray for your strength to say what you once said this morning. I pray that all of us will hear what the Spirit wants to say to this church. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse number 1 of chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. It's the first of several times that Jesus will seek to calm the troubled hearts of the disciples. The reason that their hearts are troubled is because Jesus has told them, I'm going away. He's speaking of his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension and going back to the right hand of the Father. 
Well, for three and a half years, the disciples had been with Jesus day and night. And so this was a very troubling thing to them, the thought of Jesus going away and where he was going, they couldn't go. And so Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, as uh, bequeathing, if you would, uh, his last will and testament, there are several things that he promises to them, that he gives to them, that will be cures for their troubled hearts. The word trouble means agitated, shook up. They were shook, shook up, as you can imagine. One of the things that he gives to them, John 14 and verses 1 through 3, is he gives the first mention of the rapture. He tells them, if I go away, I will come again. Okay, that's a cure for a troubled heart. Jesus tells them, I'm going away, but I'm not going to stay away, because if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's what some have called the first mention of the rapture, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a cure that he gave to them for a troubled heart. He also mentions mansions. He's going to prepare a place in his, in his father's house. There are many mansions. And so he gives them the promise of a heavenly home. And aren't you glad for the assurance that Jesus, one of the things that he's doing at this time is not only preparing us or making intercession for us at the right hand of the father, but he's preparing our heavenly mansion, our home. He also, another promise that he gives to them to cure their troubled hearts in John chapter 15 is he uses the metaphor of the vine in the branches. He is the true vine. God the Father is the farmer, the husbandman, and believers are the branches that are tied vitally into him. Without Jesus, we can do nothing, he said, but we are like a vine, or a branch tied into the vine. We draw our nourishment and our strength from him. But really, the one I want us to consider this morning, another promise that the Lord Jesus gives to his disciples to cure their troubled hearts is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God as comforter. When it comes to a troubled heart, people who have troubled hearts need comfort. And the Lord Jesus promises the disciples in verse number 16, as he's gone away, verse number 16, chapter 14, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. The word another that Jesus uses here means another of the same kind. There are two words that are used in the New Testament. One means another of a different kind. But the word that Jesus uses here is another of the same kind. And Jesus is referring then to himself as a comforter. He has been a comfort. He has been a strength to these disciples. But he's going to ask the Father. The Father's going to send another of the same kind of comforter to help these disciples, to minister to these disciples. And then Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit of God as a comforter. So another comforter of the same kind. The word comforter that Jesus uses here to refer to the Spirit of God uh, it is the idea of one who's called alongside of to assist in time of need, to advocate for as a defense attorney or a defender in time of trouble, to do for a person what they cannot do for themselves and what no one else can do for them. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter, he's talking about one who would be called alongside of the disciples, in a sense, permanently would indwell them. He would assist them in time of need. He would advocate for them in time of trouble. He would do for them what they could not do for themselves or what anyone else could do for them. How many of you have can think back on a time in your life where you were at a difficult spot and someone stepped into the picture and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. 
did for you what no one else could do for you. This study has caused me to think back on previous events that have taken place in my life or the life of others that I know, and to view them in a different light, to view them in a newer and a fresher light. I was reminded of a time that uh, the family and I had driven to the Midwest for Christmas a number of years ago, and I was going to fly back on Saturday so I wouldn't miss a Sunday. It was Christmas, and uh, I was sad about that, but I got to watching the weather forecast from the Midwest of what was going to happen out here in the Carolinas and found out that we were going to get here in the Carolinas 8 to 10 inches of snow over the weekend. And so from the Midwest, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking... I don't want to get on an airplane, fly home by myself for the family to drive home later, fly back out here by myself to have to cancel church because of 10 inches of snow and sit in the house all by myself. So I thought, I'm going to see if I can, I called several of the guys here at the church. I said, the weather is going to be bad anyway. It's 100%. So I called Delta Airlines and saw about getting my ticket changed from Saturday to staying out in the Midwest through the weekend and flying back on Monday or Tuesday. I called Delta Airlines, and the guy, the ticket agent over the phone said, yeah, we can change that flight for you, but it's going to cost you $400. I said, $400? That's more than I paid for the ticket in the first place. He said, well, that's all I can do for you. He said, here's what do. He said, go ahead and show up at the airport out there in the Midwest in Moline. Show up at the airport and see if the ticket agent at the counter can help you differently than I can. Sometimes they have a little more leeway. So... I had my wife take me to the airport. We pulled up front, and I told her, I said, you stay right here. Don't go anywhere. You stay right here. I went running inside. Thankfully, the line was short. I went up to the ticket agent. The lady who was the ticket agent there uh, was old enough to be my mother, and uh, I was so glad that she was friendly right up front. We had prayed about it. I remember getting on the, down by the bedside before we came to the airport and saying, Lord, it's going to snow 10 inches in North Carolina anyway. We're going to end up canceling church. I don't want to fly back there and be by myself. I'd love to be out here with the family. God, would you work this out? So I explained the whole situation to the ticket agent. I'll never forget what she did. She put her hands together like this and goes, crack, cracked her knuckles. <laughs> kind of squatted down a little bit behind the counter, and she started click, 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 click. And she said, I have a flight going out on Monday at such and such a time. It was the exact same flight that the ticket agent over the phone had tried to put me on for $400. I said, yeah, I know about that, but what it's going to cost me? And she looked at me, and she said, Merry Christmas. (laughs) And she said, one thing I ask is that you give me a hug. I said to her, since you're old enough to be my mother, I'll give you a hug. And never forget this, she stepped through that passageway where you put your check bags, and I gave her a big old hug. I went running back outside, got in the vehicle, and told my wife, I said, let's go. I got it changed. That ticket agent did for me what I could not do for myself. She did for me what no one else could do for me. She assisted in a time of need. <laughs> okay. She advocated for me in a time of trouble, and what did it do? It brought me great comfort. On an infinitely greater scale, that is what God's Spirit does for the believer. There are four distinct passages that Jesus gives to us in the Upper Room Discourse, or four distinct places where the Spirit of God is referred to by Jesus as the Comforter. And I want us to briefly consider each of those this morning. An understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God as our Comforter, I want you to get this, cannot help but encourage us in our time of trouble. 
Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, I want you to understand and grasp this morning, if you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, because of the ministry of the Holy Ghost in the believer's life, there is comfort for you in all of your troubles. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I want you to know the Spirit of God is drawing you, is working to bring you to Christ as Savior so that He can indwell you and become your comforter in all of your troubles. And so in the midst of the troubles that believers experience, in the midst of believers living in a troubled world, we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. In our text passage, this first passage, verses 16 to 18 that we've already read, I want you to notice the first way that the Spirit of God comforts us is by His presence. By His presence. Jesus says that uh, when He goes back to the Father, He will pray the Father, verse number 16, and the Father will give us another comforter. Notice this, that He may, what's the word say? Abide with you forever. You can drop down a little further in the passage and notice, if you would, the middle of verse number 17. The world uh, sees not the Spirit of God. They don't acknowledge Him. They don't know Him. But ye know Him. Notice this. For He, what's the word? Dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Speaking of the future indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God. So the Bible tells us, Jesus said that this comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to come. He dwells with believers, he abides with them, he remains with them. And now, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, he permanently lives inside of us. And how long will that last? Well, Jesus spoke to that as well. Verse number 16, the Father's going to give us another comforter that he may abide with us for how long? Forever. There will never come a time that the Spirit of God ceases His ministry of indwelling the believer. And so He dwells with us. That's His presence. The duration of that is forever. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the New Testament that speaks to this is Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to just mention this briefly. If you'd like to join me there, you can. If not, I'll read the text. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 12. The Apostle Paul, first talking to uh, Jewish believers, he says that uh, Jewish believers were those who first trusted in Christ. And then verse number 13, in whom ye also trusted, that's talking about non-Jewish believers, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Notice that word earnest. The Spirit of God indwelling believers. He is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of glory. In other words, until we go home, the Spirit of God is given by God to those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior after hearing the word of truth. The Spirit of God indwells us, and the Bible uses the word earnest. He is the earnest. Our modern terminology for that is down payment. The Spirit of God is the down payment. When a real estate transaction takes place, often the intended buyer puts money down on the purchase to the seller and enters into contract. I am going to buy that piece of property and as a testimony of my goodwill in doing so, I'm going to give you a down payment. That's called earnest money. Generally speaking, if the contract is broken by the buyer, who gets to keep the earnest money? 
the seller, the intended seller does. They had maybe taken the property off the market with the thought that you were going to buy it. You gave them money as a token of your good faith that you were going to do so, but then you broke the contract, backed out, so you forfeit the earnest money. The seller gets to keep it. The scripture uses the term earnest to describe the Lord or the Lord or the Spirit of God. Get it? Here's the picture. That when I trusted Christ as Savior, can we say when I entered into the covenant of salvation, I believed what God said. The Bible said that he gives to me the Holy Spirit of God as a down payment of full salvation, all that is yet to come. The Spirit of God is the down payment. Now get this. If the covenant of salvation can be broken, who gets to keep the down payment money? I get to keep the spirit. If the covenant of salvation can be broken in any way, I get to keep the down payment money. You get this, folks. What God is saying is this, is that when he entered into the covenant of salvation, he gave us the Holy Spirit of God as the down payment, as a token that what he has said he will do, this is the down payment of everything else that is yet to come. If the covenant of salvation can be broken, it means that we get to keep the Spirit and you have a separation in the Trinity. So, folks, get this. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, God's given you His Spirit. Your salvation is as secure as the Trinity. Three persons, one God. If a person can lose their salvation... Because it can be broken, the covenant can in any way. That means that we get to keep the Holy Spirit of God and there's a separation in the Trinity and you have major theological issues. Your salvation is as sure as the Trinity. And the Spirit of God comforts us by His presence He dwells in us and the duration of that dwelling is forever. It is the earnest. He is the earnest of our inheritance. Notice, if you would, verse number 18. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. These, speaks, these speak of the delights of his presence in our lives. The first is this. Jesus said, in giving the Spirit to us to be our comforter, I will not leave you comfortless. Now, can I, and I, I try not to quote Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. Many of you know that. Translated into English. Jesus uses this word comfortless here, but the original Greek word that he would have used, I'm going to quote it to you. Okay, I've, I've joked and said, I know a little bit of Greek. I know a little Greek. He runs a restaurant on the corner in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Okay. The word that Jesus uses here that is translated comfortless, I'm going to say it and I think you'll recognize it. He said, I will not leave you orphaned. It's the Greek word orphanos. I will not leave you orphaned. One of the delights of the presence of God's Spirit in us is the reminder that even though Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Spirit of God keeps me reminded of the fact that I am in the family. I'm not orphaned. Because I trusted Christ as Savior, I was given the Spirit. The Spirit of God permanently indwelling us reminds us that we are in the family. And also notice this. 
Jesus said through the ministry of the Spirit of God in our lives, even though he's ascended back to the right hand of the Father, supernaturally, Jesus said, I will come to you through the Spirit of God. Boy, there's much more that could be said about that. But get this, not only do we have the Spirit, but we still have the assurance of communion with the Lord Jesus Christ because of the Spirit indwelling us. We get two, not just one. If I can say it that way. Uh, back in May, my wonderful son-in-law decided to let my daughter surprise me and get on an airplane and fly back out here for a visit with my grandbaby. And I'll never forget, Emmeline was coming up the driveway. She's leaning out the window. I was getting back in the Suburban to come to the church, do some more work, and I hear this screaming, squealing coming up the road. Daddy, Daddy! And I look, and it's Emmeline. I had no clue. I mean, she caught me completely by surprise. She's leaning out the window. Daddy, Daddy! Are you surprised? I was surprised. So not only was I excited to see Emmeline there, but it got even better when she opened the door and placed little Carolyn Wren in Papa's arms. Not only did I get the daughter, but I got the granddaughter too. And a special visit. When God gave us his spirit, not only do we have the spirit forever, but we have the assurance too of ongoing communication and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He comforts us through his presence. But I want you to notice secondly, look at verse number 26. Verse number 26. Jesus goes on to speak more of the Comforter, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So Jesus says another ministry of the Spirit of God that when he comes is he's going to teach the disciples all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus has said. Notice, if you would, also chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. Again, still a part of this same message that Jesus speaks to the disciples in the upper room before the garden. Chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. Jesus says to the disciples, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into... How much truth? All truth. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. It's talking about end times events. One of the greatest books on eschatology or what's going to happen still in the future in God's plan is called, the title of the book is Things to Come. Notice, if you would, also chapter 16 and verse 33. Chapter 16 and verse number 33. Jesus tells his disciples, right as he's concluding his upper room discourse, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What is the basis for peace in this world? Notice the first part of verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you. The word of God through the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis for peace. It's the basis for being of good cheer, understanding that he has overcome the world. In the world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. When we take these three passages and we put them all together, we see the comforter, one of his ministries, one of the ways that he comforts us, not only by his presence, but secondly, I want you to understand something. He also comforts us through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. When Jesus, in verse 26, 
talks about the Spirit of God teaching all things and bringing all things to the remembrance of the disciples whatsoever he has said. When he talks about in chapter 16, the Spirit of truth guiding the disciples into all truth, the physical result of that written down is the copy of the Bible that you hold in your hands. The Bible was given by inspiration of God. The Holy Spirit of God moved men to give to us the very words of God in the Bible that we hold in our laps this morning. And it is a tool of the Spirit of God's comfort in our lives. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said, Romans chapter 15, in verse number 4? The things that were written before time were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Jesus says that the ministry of the Spirit of God is our comforter, the one who comes alongside, who assists us in our time of need, and who will advocate for us in our time of trouble, that the first way he comforts us is through his presence, but secondly, he also comforts us through the giving of Scripture. Originally, through inspiration, in the first giving of the Bible in the first century, The 40 penmen that God used over a period of 1,500 years scattered all over the world in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that would be completed at the end of the first century in the Bible that you and I hold in our hands, originally given through inspiration. And then the Spirit of God for 2,000 years since then has continued to minister comfort in believers' lives, in their time of difficulty, in decision, their time of doubt, their time of death, whatever they face, he has continued to minister comfort to believers for 2,000 years since the completion of Scripture through the preservation of God's Word, through the faithful translation of God's Word, and through the illumination of God's Word in our mind and heart. I've shared with you before my family's habit when I do travel of after I've packed my luggage, stashing notes all in my luggage. When I get to the destination, first thing I do is open it all up and tear it all apart to find all those notes. Even though I'm separated geographically from my family, those notes are a testimony to me of the love of those who have ceased to be? No. No. They still are, even though separated geographically. Now, here's what I want us to understand and be reminded of. Somehow, I think we get it in our minds because Jesus lived on earth 2,000 years ago that Jesus was. We fail to realize that one of the purposes of the Scripture is to remind us that Jesus is. This is not the word of one who was. This is the word of one who still is, yea, and forever shall be. And the Spirit of God ministers comfort to our hearts by the gift and the giving and the illumination of our minds to Scripture. I want you to notice a third ministry of the Spirit. And I think I'll uh, mention this one and then uh, bring it to a brief conclusion. Notice, if you would, chapter 15 and verse number 26. John chapter 15, again, still a part of the upper room discourse. Verse number 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, notice this statement, Jesus said of the Spirit of God that another ministry of the Comforter, the Spirit of God in our lives, He shall 
testify of me. A third way that the Spirit of God comforts the believer's heart, not only through his presence, not only through the scriptures, but thirdly, the Spirit of God ministers to the believer, he ministers comfort to us by testifying to us of Christ. By reminding us, by pointing us to Jesus, we could say it that way. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18 that the way that a believer becomes like Jesus is by looking at the descriptions and the character and the attributes of Christ in the word of God. I'll quote it. But we all with open face, Paul said, beholding as in a glass, talking about the Bible, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. The glory of the Lord is not a thing. Ultimately, it is a, he is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of the Father. Okay. And Paul said, we're all changed into the same image by seeing Christ in the scripture. And so the spirit of God takes the word of God, points us to Christ, shows us Christ in the scripture... And in so doing, we are comforted. We are changed into the image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comforts us by pointing us to Jesus Christ, by testifying of Christ to us. And he comforts us by pointing us, even in our times of difficulty, to Jesus Christ. I'm hesitant to share this, but I, I'm, I want to do so because it is... This study has helped to put into perspective uh, the suffering and the difficulty that we went through when the Lord took Jenny home. Many of you remember that in her last 36 hours, as Jenny was dying of the cancer, that she had an intense pain struggle in those final 36 hours. It was very difficult for us to watch a family was around. She had siblings there, some of who did not know the Lord. Uh, the, my kids were there watching this as well. And in those final 36 hours, there was an intense pain struggle that Jenny experienced that was very difficult to witness. Now, I say this to the glory of the Lord. In those even most intense moments, as that cancer had metastasized and was causing Jenny pain that uh, few of us could ever imagine. She was quoting scripture. She was reciting the lyrics to favorite hymns of the faith. She was praying. At one point, she asked me, what day is it? And I said, it's Saturday. And she looked at the ceiling and said, Lord, I know it's Saturday, but if you want to come take me today, it'll be okay. I think she had in her mind she wanted to die on Sunday, and she did, the Lord's Day. But there was a period of several hours where Jenny literally writhed on the bed. We were working on getting her a stronger pain medication to help ease her as much as we could. Once she had rested, calmed down, the pain medication had helped some, and she had settled down and was resting... I was exhausted. All of us were exhausted by trying to help in any way that we could. And I remember sitting back in a chair and I was rattled. It shook me like few things have ever shaken me. Maybe I would even say it shook me more than anything's ever shaken me before. I think somehow we have it in our heads that good people die peaceful deaths and bad people die gruesome deaths. 
And as I sat back exhausted, I was struggling in my mind at what I had just witnessed, watching Jenny, someone so dear to us, go through pain, and we were completely helpless to really do anything about it. And I was questioning, I'm like, Lord, why this? This wasn't part of my plan to see this kind of pain, this kind of agony. And the Spirit of God, get this, pointed me to Christ in that difficult moment with this thought. How did Jesus die? And comfort came in a very difficult time because the Spirit of God pointed us to Jesus. How did Jesus die? Was it a painless death? No, it was excruciating. You know the word excruciating literally means out of the cross. There were few deaths that could ever be devised by the most sinister of men the most sadistic of men that could have as much pain attached to it. Was there anything peaceful about Jesus' death? No, nothing peaceful about it. But I ask you this question, did his death accomplish peace? Yes, it did. Because Jesus Christ, as my sin-bearing substitute, when he died on that old rugged cross, he satisfied the penalty For sin, through the shedding of his blood, the payment of the debt that sin required, that God required for sin, Jesus paid it all. And because of what Jesus did, the barrier of sin can be removed between the believing sinner and the Father, and reconciliation can take place, and I can be brought into a right relationship of peace with God the Father because of Jesus' death on the cross. And while his death was painful, while it was gory, while it was violent, praise God for what it accomplished. Sin is paid for. The debt is canceled. And I can have peace with God and know it. And even as I sat there, just having witnessed that excruciating pain crisis, God comforted my heart by reminding me that even in the pain of Jenny's death, She was still like Jesus. And in being pointed to Christ, comfort came. I have another point. But I'm going to conclude the message right here. The Spirit of God comforts us through His presence. He comforts through the scriptures. He comforts through pointing us to Jesus Christ. Let me say, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, if I were to have a personal conversation with you and say, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if this life were to end for you right now, where you would spend eternity and on what basis? And maybe you'd have some questions, some doubt about that. You know what I want to tell you? Based on God's word, not man's word. I want to point you to Jesus Christ. Because he paid your sin debt 2,000 years ago. All of us were born in debt, if you would, because of sin. Born into a sin-cursed body, into a sin-cursed earth. We were born in debt. 
But God loved us so much and still loves us. 2,000 years ago, in full cooperation with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus was sent by the Father to be the Lamb, our sin-bearing substitute. Let me tell you, in the midst of the trouble of sin, in the midst of this troubled old world, the midst of the trouble that is inherent in an eternity without Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God points us to Jesus and said, there is the solution right there. Born in Bethlehem of Judea 2,000 years ago, but the one who was from everlasting to everlasting put upon himself by his own choice a robe of human flesh to come in that body and allow his body. The Bible said that other men didn't crucify Jesus. He willingly laid down his life because he loves you. He paid your sin debt through the shedding of his blood. By the way, he didn't stay dead on the morning of the third day to demonstrate that he was God in the flesh. He came alive of his own power out of that tomb on resurrection morning. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is coming again. He's coming again. Are you ready? If you're not, you can be. The comfort of God that he ministers through the Spirit to believers, and even to those who are without Christ. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I know that we didn't get through all the message, the thought here. But I'm asking, Lord, if there's one who doesn't know Christ as Savior, they would understand today their need of Christ. And Lord, for believers that are here, that maybe in the midst of trouble and difficulty that none of us, the rest of us, knows about. I pray that they would have received today a new appreciation for the ministry of the Spirit of God as comforter. If the way that He comforts is through His presence, and He does, then it is vital for us to live more and more in the awareness of His presence. He's here. If one of the ways that he comforts is through the scripture, then it just makes sense that we should just be immersing ourselves more and more in the Bible. I thank you that we live in a country where we can have our full, complete, own personal copy of it. Your very words and the Spirit of God ministers to our hearts through those. If one of the ways that the Spirit of God comforts, and it is, is that he points us to Jesus Christ, then we can never, never get too much of Jesus Christ and our vision being fixed upon him, our eyes being turned to him. So Lord, as we conclude this service here in just a moment by singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, I pray for believers that are here, they already know Christ as Savior, but Maybe like Peter, they've gotten distracted by the storms of life or the things of this world. They need to get their eyes fixed back on Jesus. And that's what the Spirit of God does, points us back to Jesus. I pray that they would do so. And Lord, for one or more here this morning that may not know Christ as Savior, they do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, I pray that they would see in their own life the need to turn their eyes upon Jesus as their Savior and to trust Him as their Lamb, their sin-bearing substitute, and be saved today. Pray these things for his glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Join me in standing, if you would, hymn number. Hymn number 326, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We'll sing a couple of verses of this. Here's my